Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 66, Gatekeeping. Recorded Thursday, July 9th of 2015. With your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Mike. Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Mike. Mike's back, specifically Mike Berna of Enroads Ministries and Game Store Profits and Tavern Con and goodness, Mike, what else? I, I wear a lot of hats these days. Yeah, it's kind you do. of ridiculous. <laughs> well, listen, it's great to have you back on the show. It's good to be back. It's been far too long since we've had you on. I know. Uh, Mike was on with us for episode 33, which is, oh goodness, a while back now. Half a show ago. Yeah, half a... Half a podcast run. That's terrifying. Thanks for that, Peter. <laughs> wow. I feel old. Hey, All right. You feel- so apparently, Mike, we have you on every 33 episodes, so we'll see you again for 99. I'll, I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, you- wow. Yeah, we do. That's that's really weird. This is number 66, isn't it? Yep. I'll tell you what. You feel old. We just hit episode 104 on Monday. 104, we do it every other week, which means that we just hit our fourth year. Yeah. <laughs> First off, congratulations for that. Thank you. Yeah. that's- a really impressive feat because most podcasts don't last a year. Yeah. So I'm I'm really happy about that. I can always tell when I'm talking to other podcasters because I go, yeah, we've been doing it for four years. And all, all of a sudden, any podcaster is like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we got the same reaction for our three years. I mean, it's. Yeah. Like I said, most of them don't last a year and it is work to keep it going. So I am impressed. Yeah. Because I know you're. Game Store Profits is not the only thing on your plate. No, it, it's not. It's it's part of a big thing on my plate, but... Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about those real quick. Tell me what's been going on with Game Store and Inroads and everything else, because I know you've been busy. Yeah, what hasn't been going on? Uh, well, as far as Game Store, like we said, we just hit our fourth year. We had a, a host change. Um, Luke, because of other obligations, pretty much said, I want to still be part of the ministry, but I can't do the podcast anymore. Mm-hmm. So I went to the board and said, who are we going to get to replace him? Because Game Store is kind of an important part of what we do. And uh, Jeff, our in-house DM, and up until recently has been always been a behind-the-scenes guy, uh, said, I'll, I'm going to step up. And so he has stepped up to be the co-host now. He's brand new to board gaming. He's been almost entirely role-playing games up till now. But I I think at some point I'm going to have to write his wife an apology because he's just explaining to me all the different games that he has bought and wants to buy now. Yeah, you uh, you should get on that apology. So right? I'm, I'm gonna have to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to write an apology, handwritten or perhaps engraved. You I, know, nice nice cardstock. Yeah, I oh, yeah. I think like illuminated text is involved with this one. Yeah, but yeah, no, that it's going really well. We have a lot of cool stuff going on. I I will say that probably the the most fun I had recently was doing episode 100, which you guys were on. Yep. Yep. You guys were one of many of the people that we had back on the podcast, which was super cool. It was fun. You know, we, we jokingly called it getting the band back together, and it really felt like that. It was fun to get together with all these people who have been on the podcast before and have them come back on and, and update us on what was going on. So mm-hmm. it was it was a cool time. I, I'm excited for what's going to happen. We have a couple interviews over the past year or over the upcoming year. Obviously, I'm going to be doing something for Gen Con. I'm going to be bringing my mic with me to Gen Con. I'm also going to be 
Uh, obviously, bringing my mic to TavernCon, which is probably the next thing I should talk about. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, the episode that we're recording is going to drop after TavernCon. It will. But give us a few words on it. It will, because literally I'll be setting up shop tomorrow afternoon. So, yep. uh, TavernCon is the, our first fundraiser as an official nonprofit. Inroads received our 501c3 status. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we are officially a nonprofit. And. It just so happened that I needed to raise some money for the Gen Con trip because, you know, I used to always joke that I'm a gaming missionary. Now that's truer than ever, which means I do a lot of fundraising when I need stuff to happen. So uh, I decided, you know, let me just throw together a fundraiser. Well, I figured it out. I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a name because we'll, we'll want to keep doing these. We'll want to do more of them. So I might as well make it a thing. Like, even though this one's kind of last minute, I only started planning for it a month ago. So even though it's kind of last minute, I'm going to give it a name, we're going to make it a thing. Yeah, well, now I can say that we've had over $200 worth of games donated to raffle off, and they're sitting right next to me, and I'll tell you what, it is literally professionalism and every ounce of willpower I have not to tear open all this pretty, because, (laughs) oh my goodness. Yep. Oh my goodness, there's so much great stuff sitting over here. We also have a game designer who discovered that we were going to be using one of his games as a competition at the at the event, uh, Jason Tagmeyer, who created a game called Pretense, which Pretense is a social meta game. Basically, what that means is, is that you're, you have roles. It's basically on a little tiny card, and the role says things like, one of my favorites is the glutton. If somebody hands you food, you take their role card. Uh, the maid, if you're the only person cleaning up a game, you, you have the ability to take somebody else's roll card. Like, there's a bunch of these. I think there are, I think we're playing with 15 of them. So. Wow. Right. And so what, what we decided to do was, is that we would, cause this, this is the kind of thing that was made for long-term game days. Like, I was part of the Kickstarter because I knew, I said, we do these charity game days. This is designed for something like that. So for this one, I said, you know what? We'll get a couple of, J- of Jason's games. We'll give them out as prizes, and we'll do a last roll standing, where we're, we're going to open it up at eleven o'clock. The event starts at ten. This contest starts at eleven, and for a donation of five dollars, you get a roll card, and the, basically the entire day is the competition, regardless of what game you're playing. So. I go, yeah, it'll be great. End of the day, if if a winner hasn't been determined, we'll pick one from the remaining players. It'll be a lot of fun. Well, I put that on Twitter before we started recording. We were saying how the, the wonder of Twitter. And uh, I said, yeah, we're going to use Jason Tagmeyer's pretense as part of a competition. And before I knew it, Jason Tagmeyer tweeted me and he goes, I had never thought of doing that. That's kind of awesome. Where is this happening? Nice. And uh, I, I told him where it's happening. And, and a couple minutes later, he goes, that's an hour and a half from me. I'll be there. Sweet. Wow. So now, not only are we going to be having fun playing Jason Tagmeyer games, not only am I going to have fun giving away Jason Tagmeyer games, he's going to be bringing games that he can sell and play with people. He's also bringing heretofore unpublished games that he wants to playtest with people. Which is obviously fantastic. It's amazing. And so this event that was supposed to be this like last minute cover costs for Gen Con thing has become this really epically huge kind of event. We've had a lot of people be very uh, generous already, and the doors haven't even opened yet. And I'm super excited. It's going to be small scale, 
but as it's something that I didn't really have a lot of time to plan, and it's already at this scale, we have people traveling over three hours to be here. Nice. And because of this, I'm already just super excited for not only what we're going to do this year, but what we're going to do next year. And the fact that I've had conversations like, do we have to get in touch with hotels? Like, the fact that that's been a conversation, and this is our first time doing this, I'm super excited about the potential there. Yeah, that's what you call a good sign there. Yeah, and so <laughs> yeah, Inroads Inroads has been doing great stuff. We recently got mentioned in the same context as the guys from the Dice Steeple, the Dice Tower right. being like the grand high poobah of all things board gaming podcasts, and uh, they're bringing up the Dice Steeple again, and, and we were excited about that, and I said, that's oh, great, I'm glad you guys are doing this. I was actually on one of the earlier episodes, and I was super happy. Well, yeah, apparently what was really fun, and, and I'm not going to lie, a complete ego boost to me, was when somebody on Board Game Geek said, oh, Sam, Sam Healy, one of the big three of the of the network, you go, oh, Sam, you totally need to get in touch with the Inroads guys. They can give you tips. <laughs> I, I'm, nice. I'm not going to lie. I did not know how to handle that. I was dealing with some serious pride issues at that point. Because I, I honestly don't know what kind of world we live in that that was even, you know, it just made me think about how our regulars are the coolest people on the planet and make me super happy to be part of this ministry. That's a that's a good feeling to have about one's regulars. So. Yeah. And so I'm between that and Gen Con and getting the 501c3, I'm super excited. So lots of good stuff is happening. That's really good to hear. Yeah, it's fantastic, Mike. I can't tell you how happy I am to hear that. Yeah, especially since we're syndicated with this guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a little bit of that, too. A <laughs> little, little bit of that. Oh, thank goodness. Our syndication partner yeah. is stable. But uh, <laughs> I, I will say that it's fun because everyone warned me. They're like, when you get into a nonprofit, there's, it, it's an entire roller coaster because you go from everything is great and everything's wonderful to why hasn't anyone supported me and this bill needs to get paid and oh, and everything's going to be wonderful. This is fantastic. And oh, my goodness. I'm feeling that right now. <laughs> I am neck deep in that roller coaster. <laughs> I would not expect that to diminish at any point no, in the future. I'm kind of just, you know, throwing the hands up and going with the ride, because that's kind of what life is now. Well, should we get into our main topic here? Yes, I think so. Let me real quick remind everyone that if you are listening to us for the first time, maybe you followed Mike over here, because Mike is awesome and you know that. Welcome to Saving the Game, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Google+. You can join our Google Plus community, and we would love to have you there. So yeah. find us there. All, the, all of this is linked on our website, stgcast.org. Yeah, rate and review us on iTunes and or Stitcher. We love that, and it helps us get more exposure. And improve the podcast. Yeah. All right, enough of that. Let's get into scripture and our topic, because we kind of have a doozy of a topic, and it deserves some time. Okay, so who wants to start with Ezekiel? I'm looking to read 1 Corinthians, so I don't know. I'll take Ezekiel. Okay. This is Ezekiel 16, 49 to 50. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Cool. So that that's me now? Yeah. Yep. All right. I'm going to go with 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 27. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. 
and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And our last scripture is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So our topic tonight is one that has been, I think, in the news a fair bit in geek circles and which is a little bit of a hot-button topic, which we don't talk about a lot, but it's something that Peter and I felt was pretty important to talk about and which Mike is pretty passionate about, so we wanted to bring him on for it, and that's gatekeeping. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about gatekeeping in the geek community and in the church and how those kind of compare and contrast and how to avoid them. I do want to start off by pointing out that this is not a problem unique to either of those communities. No, not even kind no, of. No, no. Gatekeeping is kind of a, an inherent part of the human condition and the way we sort of subdivide into little fractal subcultures that each have their own unspoken rules and their sense of community and which people feel like they belong to and have some sense of ownership over. You will find this with people who, you know, knit and crochet. You'll find it with motorcycle people. You'll find it with car repair guys, you know, the guys who love working on cars. You'll find it with computer geeks. I know I'm sometimes one of them. You'll find it's it with <laughs> gamers. You'll find it with board gaming people. You'll find it in every church Hunters and, and sports shooters. Any community of interest is going to have this sort of problem. You know who who's a really good example? Model railroaders. Because there's several different scales of model railroad, and none of them want to talk to each other. Yeah. The O guys and the HO guys and the N-Gage guys don't like each other. Yeah. It, it's all fractal, right? You, you know, you say, oh, well, they're, they're all model railroad people. They must be their own little clique of people. No, it's subdivided. And then it's subdivided within that. We're going to talk about some of that. But it is very much a problem that is a human problem, not unique to one subset or one subculture. It can be born pretty much anywhere where there's strong passion. Right. And passion is a big part of it. When you are invested in something emotionally, we start to get this reaction. I'm going to say, rather than you, I'm going to say we, because I have done it. And I'm going to talk about some of those cases. But in the past couple of years, it's come out specifically in regards to geeky communities. Often this has been a gender issue. Uh, many of the best publicized cases have been gender issues. But while those are real problems, this is not a uniquely gender-related issue. It, it's bigger than that, which is not to you know try and minimize those problems, but that's not quite the root of it. I want to go past that and try and dig a little deeper with it. But I really want to start talking about it in terms of the church, because this is almost a bigger problem in the church than it is in any other community because we have a really strong sense of who, quote-unquote, belongs in our church. And I think we're all familiar with cases where churches have implicitly or explicitly tried to push out or keep out people who don't belong. I have, I have a, a clear picture of that. I have one that I always go to. It's my, it's my story that epitomizes this kind of attitude. Shoot. When I was, working in, uh, when I was in grad school, I was working in a church in Texas— 
it was one of those bigger churches. And so in Texas, you know, some, some things are true. Everything is bigger. I was actually in a, what would be considered a medium sized church there of 700. Which is nonsense. I mean, that's twice the size of my church. Yeah. In Texas, I went to churches that had Sunday school classes bigger than my entire church here in New Jersey. So yeah. it was, yeah. But I digress. Uh, I was actually sitting in on an elders meeting because I was interning at the church. And they talked about the fact that one of the greeters was no longer allowed to volunteer at the church. And the story behind that, the pastor at the time is one of the most mild-mannered dudes I've ever met. He's the kind of guy who could just tell you you're awful and spit in your face, and you'd still go, he's such a sweet guy. <laughs> he's okay. that guy. So I actually saw him get mad as he told the story of how this older gentleman who was a greeter uh, saw a, a man walk up to the church, and he had tattoos that was – he basically had sleeves up both arms. Mm-hmm. And this dude who was a greeter, his sole job was to welcome people into the church. And he said, you best leave. You're not going to be allowed in this church. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a problem that I, I don't want to speak ill of the church. Like I said, that pastor, I I've, I've seen the man once in my entire life. And it was that moment. So I don't want to, like, give a bad impression of that church. But that dude, to me, was the epitome of the gatekeeper problem in the church. Mm-hmm. Because really, I mean, yeah, there's people who will make the argument from scripture about tattoos not being a thing. I don't agree with it, but I at least kind of see it. But the fact that you would kick somebody out, whether you think it's legit or not, the fact that you say you're not allowed to come in this place where we worship God because of that, that's stupid. Yeah, I yeah, that's I will agree. That's cruel. Yeah. It's not stupid, it's cruel. Yeah. I, I've got my own story about this that's really my wife's story. But before we get to that, Pope Francis actually, back in 2013, May of 2013, uh, gave a homily where he was talking about this and calling out uh, Pharisees within the Catholic Church specifically, which naturally is a little more hierarchical and has centuries of built-in pastoral traditions and customs that he's you know, he was basically saying, hey, those need to take a backseat to the love that we show each other through Christ, right? I want to read this quote from his homily. Now, this is translated, and, you know, this is someone speaking, so if it sounds a little rough and the cadence is a little weird, that's why. But this is what he, he was talking about. We think about the parish secretary, a secretary of the parish. Good evening, good morning, the two of us, boyfriend and girlfriend, we want to get married. And instead of saying, that's great, they say, oh, well, have a seat. If you want the Mass, it costs a lot. This, instead of receiving a good welcome, it is a good thing to get married. But instead, they get this response. Do you have the certificate of baptism? All right. And they find a closed door. When this Christian and that Christian has the ability to open a door, thanking God for this fact of a new marriage, we are many times controllers of faith instead of becoming facilitators of the faith of the people. Think about a single mother who goes to church in the parish and said to the secretary, she says, I want my child baptized. And then this Christian, this Christian says, no, you cannot because you're not married. But look, this girl who had the courage to carry her pregnancy and not return her son to the sender, what is it? A closed door. This is not zeal. It is far from the Lord. It does not open doors. And so when we are on this street, have this attitude, we do not do good to people, the people, the people of God, 
But Jesus instituted the seven sacraments with this attitude, and we are establishing the eighth, the sacrament of pastoral customs. I love Francis so much. Yeah. It, he's pretty good. Obviously, you know, <laughs> I've got a few theological disagreements well, with yeah. him because I'm not Catholic, but there's a certain very open spirit that I think a lot of people appreciate about him and living up to that love is the greatest commandment idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't a hundred percent agree with Francis like you, but I mean, boy, if you could do a whole lot worse for an example of what actually living a godly life looks like. Yeah. Very true. But I think that that particular line, we are many times controllers of faith instead of becoming facilitators of the faith of the people. That, I think, is kind of the takeaway. We're trying to control something that we have a sense of ownership over or that we're invested in instead of facilitating other people's enjoyment and response to it. Ultimately, I think that's how we need to change our minds about gatekeeping, and that is what we need to try and transform ourselves from and into, right? From becoming controllers into becoming facilitators. I think if there's any takeaway from this whole episode, that's probably it. I said I had a story to tell. This is the story from my wife's church. One of the things that really bothered her growing up, uh, she's no longer going to this church. She's going to a Presbyterian church with me. This was a, a Southern Baptist church that she grew up in out in the country. That's how these things go. This particular church, I mean, it's had the same families in it for 100 years, 150 years, something like that. It's that kind of Southern church. Okay. And Long, long time. Long, long time. Someone at the church started bringing some friends of her sons to church. And this caused a huge problem. Not because they had tattoos or anything like that, but because these were kids who had never been to church before. They didn't have church clothes. They didn't really know how to behave in church. And they were, you know, they were being a little loud sometimes. And they didn't dress how you're supposed to dress to go to church, i.e. a suit or a polo shirt and khakis, because it's the South, and we all dress like that when we go to church, pretty much. You know, that's just kind of the customary, nicely dressed look that we all have. They didn't have that. They didn't own those clothes. They had jeans, and these were not the wealthiest kids in the world. They didn't have nice jeans. They didn't have nice clothes. There was not an outcry from one person. There was an outcry from multiple members of that church who basically insisted that this woman stop bringing those children to oh, the church. Oh, no. Those children? Yes, those children. You can feel the venom coming off of those words. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, hopefully you can feel the finger quotes on it, too. Yeah. And it really bothered my wife. And, it, you know, it bothers me <laughs> relating this story because it's that same idea of, oh, no, no, it's not for you, I say. In direct defiance of the head of the church, who says, I'm here for everyone who comes to me. Well, I mean, this goes back to one of the favorite passages of another friend of ours in the geeky faith community, Derek White, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Right. There is no rich or poor, there is no, you know, geek and no sports fan, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's yeah. just, ugh. That turns the stomach. It does. This is not a problem, like we said, specific to any one community. But it has come up more in the geek community. I, I, that's maybe not even the right way to phrase it. In different geek communities over the past couple right. of years. 
because geek community is no longer one unified thing. It's a, a very broad phrase to describe a large number of subcultures. We've had fake geek girl debates. There was this famous incident in, and you wrote about this, Mike, in your I Hate Monopoly yeah. article, which I love, where you know somebody posted this picture of what they thought was, and I'm going to quote from the picture, steampunk gender-swapped Joker in a Willy Wonka hat, which turned out to be a remarkably accurate cosplay of Duella Dent. And that got a lot of traction because it was clear that the person complaining didn't know as much as the person they were complaining I, about. I love, I love right. the, the, it became a meme, which was hilarious. Cause that's actually how I found out about this story was, mm-hmm. it, it, in true to form, you get picture with text over it. It must be true. It's the internet. I, I still don't know who this cosplayer is. And if you're listening and you know who this is, then tell me, cause I'd love to just, just say her name and continue to say how awesome this cosplay is. It's but good cosplay. Under, yeah. Underneath that off incorrect description, Underneath that, it just says, congratulations, you've made trying too hard into an out, into an art form. It's basically saying, yeah. you don't know what you're doing. Why are you screwing with what we love? Get out. Yeah, go away. When all he's doing, that statement is not about, you know, you're messing with what we love. Get out of here. It's literally proving that he has no idea. And I'm, I'm assuming he, because that's 98% of where this was coming from was, guys who really embodied the stereotype oh let's let's be honest they're white dudes with beards yeah. just like the three of us yeah <laughs> it it really embodied the fact that he knew nothing about what he was talking about he was trying to defend what he knew nothing about well let, let's not say nothing but didn't know as much as this person he was right criticizing. Duella Dent is not a tiny character she had a pretty decent run yeah. In fairness, I didn't know Duella Dent, but I'm not a comics right. person. I didn't either because I've been following comics via Wikipedia for the last decade and a half or so. Most, I, I'm, I'll be perfectly honest, most of my comics knowledge comes from the 90s X-Men cartoons. But see, and that that's the thing. You guys are, are saying this as, as people who don't know comics. You go, oh, look at that. And then that would probably create a conversation. Oh, are you the Joker? No, I'm actually Duella Dent. Oh, really? Tell me about this character. That's a conversation that should be happening. You speak from a place of, of ignorance. I don't know who you're cosplaying. And so you seek mm. to increase that knowledge by, hey, tell me what you did here. What this guy did was, one, not even acknowledge that he might be ignorant of the character, assumed that this person was intruding on territory that was rightfully his, mm-hmm. and basically said, get off my lawn. Yeah. And that assumption is one of the big things I want to talk about here. This meme, you know, made the rounds largely because of the schadenfreude that was oh, associated oh, yeah, with that... this idea of, ha ha, this guy didn't know what right. he was talking about. And schadenfreude is not nice. <laughs> you know, it's not something we should aim for as no. Christians. But I, I know that that is why it made the rounds. And I'll tell you, I had the same sense of, eh, he got what was coming to him. Hoisted by his own petard. You know, I don't feel proud of that. But I certainly had that reaction. I, I think what you said about investment, a sense of ownership, that's probably a big part of this. Because geeks inherently are emotionally invested in particular properties or particular subcultures, or particular hobbies, we get that emotional investment and that creates a sense of ownership. I am really invested in role-playing games. Really, really invested, right? I have a podcast about role-playing games. 
You're the same way with board mm-hmm. games, Mike. And I know there are certain times when I feel like, wait, no, that's mine. I want to have a sense of control over that. And it's almost always unconscious, but it certainly happens. I have the same thing with video games sometimes. Um, I had an instance myself of a sense of, wait, you're not the right kind of people to enjoy this hobby, which is when I went to college and discovered that Halo was not just big among the video game nerds that I grew up thinking video game players were because only nerds played video games, obviously, right? (laughs) I mean, those are the people I went to school with and that was a nerd hobby. All of a sudden I get to college and dude bros are playing Halo and loving it. And dude bros have Xboxes and they're playing Madden and loving it. And I had a very strong sense of, no, you can't have that. It's not for you. Get out of my space. It was a really ugly reaction, and I'm really not proud of it, but I very much had that. Now, I would like to think I've gotten past that, but I I am not silly enough to think that I'm immune to that going forward. It could very easily crop up again. Well, I think that is, you, you've touched on a lot of why gatekeeping is so particularly nasty amongst geek communities, whether it's gaming or comic books or whatever. It's because of the fact that for many of us, and... As Peter identified, we're all a bunch of neckbeards, you know, or at least reformed neckbeards. I think for for me, it's that idea of there was a time in our past where we were the underdog, where we were the ones getting, I hate to use this word, but it's what people use when you talk about this stuff. We were the ones that were persecuted. We were the ones that were, you know, got the crap kicked out of us because we had a particular love for X comic book character. You know, we were the mm-hmm. ones who got made fun of for spending our days playing video games long before video games became mainstream. Right. Well, if, and being different as opposed to being right. in the mainstream. Well, you know, that's not always even the case. Um, I got a lot more flack back when I was in high school during my formative years for the fact that I was kind of an uptight legalistic brand of Christian at the time than I ever did for being geeky. And you got to be real careful when you cry persecution on this sort of thing and i think this may be what you're getting at mike because sometimes you're you are definitely bringing it on yourself i mean if i had been a bit more properly adjusted socially back when i took flack for stuff i might not have taken as much flack i certainly wouldn't have deserved what i did still take as it was i richly deserved probably about 85 percent at least of what was thrown my way because i was kind of a jerk about stuff Right. A lot of geek culture started outside the mainstream of American society, at least. And the Internet age and the old joke about, you know, geeks saying, well, I'll be his boss someday. Well, now we are. I mean, I work in a software company that makes products for other geeks and we run institutions everywhere. That's what we do. We are those bosses now. We're certainly a huge part of the behind the scenes infrastructure. Right. But, you know, how much are comic book movies made oh, yeah. these days? Bazillions. Right. Every household has a video game console, pretty much, because it's a key part of the mainstream culture these days. And we've gone from this sense of being persecuted outsiders to another generation where this stuff is perfectly normal. And I think there is a subset that resents that. You know, certainly the the idea of being persecuted together is a very powerful Well, you got sense. you get that whole foxhole mentality that you didn't go through what, what we went through. 
to like this stuff back when we were liking it. It took courage. It took guts because it meant something. And you took your life into your hands to say, you know, that you played video games and you read comic books and you were really, you know, whether it actually was or not. I know for me, I was made fun of for lots of things, being a geek, only one of them. <laughs> yeah, I was made fun of for being an immature little right. bratty child. So, I'm not you know. saying that this is accurate, but I'm saying it's, it felt that way. Yeah, geekiness sure. was really starting to become, I wouldn't say mainstream, but definitely not so weird as to be pick-on worthy. It would be like being into bowling or something when I was in high school in the late 90s. Middle school was worse for me than high school, but that was kind of a special no, Middle school was the worst three years of my life. <laughs> uh, I think it's the worst three years of everybody's life. I think it's, you're probably right. And, and, you know, some of it, Mike, is kind of a, a generational thing. Like you're saying, you know, a sense of, oh, well, you didn't have to work for it. We did. It was it was a courageous sort of thing. But also every generation is bringing something new to culture and to specifically these subcultures that we are trying to nurture. The first generation of, of geeks was kind of our parents generation in a lot of ways <laughs> or people like right in between my parents generation and me. And now their kids are entering it. And they've been raised in this, and so it's like, wait a second, there's this whole new wave of people coming in and changing, quote-unquote, my culture. Right. That should be something that we are okay with, but oftentimes, again, that sense of ownership makes us feel threatened. Well, I always, I always love when people get up in arms about, you mentioned comic book movies. I don't know if there was a big, huge stink about this. I thought it was fine, but I remember, uh, let's just take... From Age of Ultron, because that's one of the, the most recent big comic book movies. Let's look at what they had to change. Let's talk about the fact that Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch have a new origin story. I don't even know if that if that did cause a big stink. I'm sure there was somebody who was like, that's ridiculous! The thing that bothered me the most about that movie was that a robot had lips. Yeah. <laughs> did Transformers teach us nothing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But people get really, like, up in arms about this stuff. And, and I'll totally ad admit to my own things. Like, I'm sorry. I, I know a lot of people who saw Wolverine Origins and thought, this is a really entertaining movie. I try very hard to deny that movie's existence. But, you know, when I first saw that movie, I go, this is, a, this is an abomination. It's horrible. It's wrong. And then I found out that, yes, that movie actually does find its origins in a comic book. <laughs> That wasn't Hollywood ruining yep. it. That was a comic book author taking a different spin on it. Now, it's one thing for guys like me to come at that and say, I don't like what you did there. And I will still, to this day, do that. I don't like any of what they did there. But to say you had no right to do that is an entirely different thing. It's that, that understanding that I am the one who says whether you have earned the right to mess with the thing that I love. Mm -hmm. And you just said the magic words, I'm the one who decides. Right. Our whole Virtues and Vices series culminated with pride as kind of the, the ultimate, the great sin. And this is very much an issue of pride, I think. A sense that we are important enough to determine who gets to be in and who gets to be out. We, we sort of have this clickishness. You have to earn your way in. Right. And I think that 99.9% .9 of the time, this is unconscious. Well, and can I call out for a second just how ridiculous this is? We're not the Freemasons. We're people that like comic books or video games. 
or tabletop right. role-playing games or board games or, you know, any th that right. other geek Or churches stuff. or yeah. motorcycles or whatever. Yeah. Again, this is not unique to the geek community. It's that sense of importance and a sense of I get to decide something for this, this thing that I, you know, am emotionally invested in. I think sometimes, too, we forget what it's like to be new to something. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah. I'm kind of fortunate in that my wife is not a big gamer. Because while she's played a few tabletop role-playing games, she's played a few board games, she's not really as familiar with it as I am. And so when I start talking about something, she'll give me a blank look or say, oh, what is this? I don't know what that is. And I'll stop and go, you're right. You don't. And other people might not. I need to clarify that when I talk about it on the show. Or, you know, I need to clarify that when I write something about it. Or, you know, if I'm trying to design a shirt, oh, hey, this may not make sense to people. I need to change this it's a big help to me because i've been doing tabletop role-playing games for 10 years now which is not as long as a lot of other people i know them i know them really well i don't know every game but i have a good sense of what goes into designing them i know all the terms i know how they work to the point where somebody can talk about a game and mention a few basic details and i'll go oh i really get that now and i sometimes forget what it's like to have no idea about something but to be curious about it and to be trying to figure out how to get into it. It's really hard. And I think sometimes we can be contemptuous of people who want to get into something but don't know the terminology or the spoken or unspoken rules of that community or that hobby or, you know, whatever it is. And what you really should be saying is that was me 10 years ago. Right. But instead... You know, it's easy to, to resent having to explain it, or I think sometimes even just be like, ha ha, they don't know. And I again, I don't think this is usually conscious. I'm sure there are a few jerks for whom it is conscious, but m most of us... There was mm, an I don't think so. KCD a little while ago that I think had a really good, kind of a, a, a good portrayal of the attitude that we should have. It was something to the effect of, um, you know, there's there's a certain number of people out there that have never seen the Diet Coke and Mentos thing. The comic strip depicts, you know, what's this with Diet Coke and Mentos? And the other stick figure guy is like, come with me to the store right now. And the other person's like, what? And he's like, you're part of today's lucky 10,000 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is 10,000. Like he did the yeah. math on the number of people who have never seen the Diet Coke and Mentos. Thing. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you have no idea of the awesome that you're in for, but I'm going to show you, you know, instead of being the gatekeeper, let sure. me be your tour guide. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons that we did an episode on getting new people into the hobby. Because every person who's in the hobby has to start somewhere. Well, and every new person into the hobby increases the number of people that are in the hobby, which keeps the hobby from dying, which is a good thing. Right. Yeah, John Scalzi actually wrote a blog post a while back, basically saying, hey, gatekeepers, stop taking away my sales. Right. I've seen a number of stories from different game store owners who are incredibly frustrated at people saying, oh, you don't want that game. And they kind of drive people away from buying any game at all. And he's just like, no, you just cost me a sale. And you'd cost me potentially a series of sales as this person got into the hobby. I've got a couple of things that I could point to for that. One is Munchkin, the card game Munchkin. Mm -hmm. Munchkin is a game that is oft hated in the board gaming community. Yeah. And the reason why most people dislike it is because of the fact that by gaming standards, there's really not much game there. 
You flip a card, you deal with it, you're done. Yeah, but it's full of hilarious John Kavalik art. I like it. I mostly hate it because I keep losing to a particular friend of mine. <laughs> well, that's valid. But my wife, I'm talking to you, Court. M- Munchkin is one of the games that my wife likes because she consistently beats me at it. Yeah, but you're right. There's not the game design is almost all luck. I mean, it really feels like a more complex version of Sorry. Oh, it is, and it, it gets a lot of hate for that. But at the same point, I still have a copy of it. It's not one of my favorite games, and in fact, if you ask me to play it, I'll probably say we can play this other game instead. Mm-hmm. But it's still in my collection. Somebody asked if they could donate their Munchkin cards to Inroads to add to the library, and I said, absolutely, I need as many as you can give me. Yeah, my uh, local watering hole, the the Southern Growl, they have a board game collection, and chief among them is Munchkin. And I'm excited about that because it's not Monopoly or checkers or something that everybody looks at in size <laughs> and says, oh, board games. It's, oh, what is this? That's neat. And think of it this way. Not only is it a gateway for opening up that hobby, like that game, if, if you're playing just the regular munchkin, it is a giant in-joke to the role-playing world. Yet I still remember the first time I had to look at somebody and go, why am I fighting a gazebo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I go, oh, let me tell you a story. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You're one of today's yep. lucky 10,000. You're one. Of, exactly. Just playing that game. And, and I've had so much fun doing it because it's so ridiculous, because it's so insane. Yeah, it's not a great game as far as mechanics are concerned, but I've had a ton of fun playing it because it's a different experience. And then there was the kicker, the thing that got the board gaming community up in arms. Kickstarter is a a huge thing for board gaming. People love it or hate it, but you can't deny that it's a huge part of how a lot of games are hitting the market these days. Yes, and that's true of every related hobby. I mean, the Reapers, Miniatures, third Kickstarter went off and they hit their goal in 109 seconds. Oh yeah, people were waiting for that one. The biggest one that caused a stink recently was the guys who put together the the webcomic The Oatmeal. Uh huh. A very popular webcomic. They decided they were going to make a card game called Exploding Kittens. It is basically Russian roulette with cards. Right. It's if you pick it up, it either explodes or it doesn't. And there are a couple cards that say whether or not you pick up a card or not, but that's basically it. You pick a card, you explode, or you don't. There is yeah. no game here. Super simple. It raised like something like $4 million. Yeah, it was something ridiculous. I remember seeing that it, it did. I didn't really follow it, but yeah. It is a card game that you could easily print and play, and it raised $4 million. And mm-hmm. the board game community went nuts. The common thread was all these great games with great miniatures and intense rules and cool things and great strategies are sitting on the vine never hitting anything, not reaching their goals, and this stupid game about cartoon kittens that explode is making $4 million. Mm -hmm. And I remember when it happened, we actually did a podcast episode about it because we couldn't not talk about it. And I remember saying, guys, it's not like that money would have gone to those other board games. Yeah. The people who got into Exploding Kittens said... Ha ha, that looks hilarious. I'm going to get it. Well, and let's mm-hmm. not forget that those people may want some of the more intense stuff later. Yeah. Right. How many of them are going to go, oh, that's cool. Are there other games like this? And then they'll pick up 
we didn't play test this at all. Right. Or cards against humanity, if they're that sort of person. Or apples to apples, even. And, and just slowly work their way into the hobby. The next thing you know, you've got them playing Dominion. Yeah. Right. And I think some of this, there's an unconscious sense, especially, again, for people emotionally invested in particular hobbies or particular communities, that there's some sort of competition for resources. Right. And that's not necessarily true. This is not a zero-sum game. No. Right. Those of us who are members of this hobby do not have all of the resources that are on the table already, right? When new people come in, they are bringing in their own. We're not fighting over scraps, and we've added another hungry wolf to to the pile here. We've added another farmer with their own field to the county. Right. Exactly. These are these are people who bring investment to the hobby, and that they are joining is awesome. Now, I wonder if there isn't something about certain geek hobbies that emphasizes this, especially in collectible hobbies, because there really are limited resources. There's only so many Superman number one issues floating around, you know, that sort of thing. But even that is kind of a little bit of pop psychology that I don't want to follow too far because it's just kind of a, a point of curiosity. Certainly in role-playing games, we want more players and we want more GMs. We don't want fewer. Yeah, that's just crazy talk. <laughs> right. And Mike, do you want fewer people playing board games with you? No, and I'm convinced that's why I I absolutely love the board gaming community. I did before I even started this ministry. And now that we're doing inroads and, and really trying to get into this world as, as ministry, as bringing the gospel here, I, I have a deep, deep love for these people because of the fact that I rarely get that get out of my backyard uh, scenario. More often than not, I've always said, give me a game and a table and I will make friends with four strangers in 20 minutes. Yeah. And role-playing games are often the same way. Every Fear of the Con has people who have never played a role-playing game before in their life. Every con I've heard about, there's somebody who's like, a friend of mine talked about this and it was cool. I'm here to try it. Yeah, I've yeah. seen blog posts and stuff about that in years past, and mm -hmm. it's wonderful. It, it's great. And they're not starting in the same place I did. And that's okay. Uh, a, a listener of ours in particular, Zach Lorton, who's commented on some stuff before, a couple years ago, he wrote about going to his first convention at Fear of the Con. And he started with a couple of different games that I had never touched, you know, like some Rises games and that sort of thing, and Fiasco. Very heavy on role-playing, light on mechanics. And this year he ran a Rises-based game for us. That is not at all the same place I started in the role-playing game hobby. I started with D&D 3.0. And I started with GURPS. And then I moved on to Shadowrun. You know, I didn't touch a rules light system until probably three years ago at best. You know, I oddly enough with me and role playing games, I've been playing role playing games since I was 16. For those of you doing the math, that's a good long time. It was always D&D. &D. Now, granted, it was different variations on D&D, &D, but it was always D&D. &D. It's probably only within the past three or four years that I've said, all right, let me let me look into some of this other stuff now. I play D&D, &D, I play Pathfinder, I play Numenera, I play Victoriana. I want to get a game of Dog Eat Dog going so bad. You know, the list goes on. Yeah, but the fact that Zach is starting in a different place than I did 
is a good thing because he's bringing something new to it. And he's he brought an awesome game that I have never played before, or had never played before until Fear of the Con 8. Did he did he bring the one? Did he bring the one where you were playing as uh, fast food people? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, different advertising mascots. Yes, I played Colonel Sanders, but we had uh, the Pillsbury Doughboy and Mayhem from Allstate and a couple others. It was awesome. But I, I, like, I understand the impulse to be like, no, this is new and this is different and this is not the hobby I know. I kind of get that. I hear it a lot more in technology, and I'm starting to, in a sense, have the same reaction looking at raising my daughter in a world that's a little unfamiliar. Uh, Douglas Adams in The Salmon of Doubt had this wonderful quote about technology, but it also kind of applies to change in general. Um, he, he had this set of rules that describe our reactions to technologies. Quote, first, anything that is in the world when you're born is normal and ordinary and is just a natural part of the way the world works. Second, anything that's invented between when you're 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary, and you can probably get a career in it. Third, anything invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. Wow. It's kind of true. I think we all can look back and think of our parents' reaction to video game consoles or that sort of thing. Or, you know, somebody we knew kind of had that same, you know, all change is social decay kind of reaction. And as a, a parent who's helping a little girl grow up, I can kind of see where that reaction comes from because, well, this isn't the world I, I grew up knowing how to deal with. Yeah, it's all, it's all bad and wrong. I can kind of get that, but that's where faith and hope and understanding come in. And that's where an openness to other people comes in. Well, it was, it was very interesting. I was reading just earlier today, a perspective that said that there's a reason why People who were in their early teens and teenage years in the 90s, there's a reason why we've become some of the most nostalgic people on Earth. It's because we've hit this technological growth period that has grown so exponentially since we were kids. Yeah. Because I, I remember I was teaching a Sunday school classroom and I go, guys, I was old enough to remember when the internet was created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this this room full of small children looked at me like I had two heads. Yeah, there is this weird generation that, like, Pete's at the outer edge of, and I'm maybe on the young edge of. It's a pretty small set of years where we remember, like, right when these baseline technologies of the Internet age came in. Like, I remember not having yeah, Internet. I remember having right. a computer and not having Internet and still finding things to do with it. Yeah, and I remember the first modem we got. And the horrible noise it, made. it was amazing. <laughs> I remember I remember CompuServe before there was such a thing as the World Wide Web. Before there was such a thing as HTML. I remember when my cell phone had to stay in the car and it came in a suitcase. Yes. Yeah, my uh, my first car had a car phone. Like it was bolted to the floor of the car. Yep. You know, I remember that stuff. I remember um, my dad worked in IT. Uh, he went into it from accounting because, well, accountants needed computers. So he kind of got shanghaied into the IT department. He brought home the first 100 meg hard drive, and neither he nor I thought we would ever fill it up. Yep. Meanwhile, I have like one and a half terabytes of storage in this thing and could stand to add more. Yeah. <laughs> my phone has... 80 times that much storage. I, it's ridiculous. But I, we remember that stuff. And I can kind of understand, kind of looking at it going, no, no, you don't understand. I yeah. get that. But we've kind of, 
we've complained a lot about that sort of thing. We've talked about some of the problems. Let's talk about solutions. How do we get past this? And how do we help other people get past it? Both in geek culture, in the church, and in all these other subcultures that we may be a part of, like podcasting, or you know, beer appreciation, or computer gaming, or computer hardware, or tavern I want to go creation back or whatever. to XKCD comic that I referenced because I found it while we were talking and the mouse over text is brilliant. Um, they're talking mm-hmm. specifically about science in there, but I think the first thing is enthusiasm rather than conservatism. And the mouse over mm-hmm. quote from that comic, which we'll link in the show notes, is saying what kind of an idiot doesn't know about the Yellowstone supervolcano is so much more boring than telling somebody about the Yellowstone supervolcano for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's the you're one of today's lucky 10,000 thing. Yeah. That, that sense of, hooray, we get to include you in Well, not only that, together. but I get to go back and revisit the feelings that I had when I first realized how awesome this was vicariously through telling it to you. Well, I, I have vivid memories, especially doing, you know, I, now that I'm doing inroads and now that I'm talking to people and, and trying to get into churches with this stuff and everything like that, I'm primarily walking into an area where we, we've kind of gotten out of the go-to being Monopoly and Clue and that we've kind of gotten out of that. It's for a lot mm-hmm. of people that's still the go-to, but we're starting to kind of get out of that and seeing like, oh, I love Settlers of Catan. And then I get to look at them and say, do you know that Settlers of Catan was created 20 years ago? And they're like, what? I go, yeah. I go, you want me to show you what's been created since then? Because holy cow. Yeah. My wife and I just, we go to this uh, small group at a friend of ours at their their house. And uh, they've been so super supportive of the ministry and everything like that. So it's great. Well, we had a couple other people that kind of showed up and we were saying hi and everything. So that leads to, you know, what do you do? And I talked about the ministry and they're like, oh, what's your ministry? And I go, I, I play games with people. And he started, he did, he goes, oh, I played Settlers of Catan once or twice. It's really fun. And he goes, what's your favorite game? And I go, ha, 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 ha. Uh, probably in my collection right now, my favorite game is City of Remnant. And he's like, I've never heard of that. I'm not surprised. So I then began to explain. I said, you're, you're, you've been captured by this alien race who just dropped you in this dilapidated city. And now for survival, it's you versus as many as three other gangs trying to be the ones in charge. But at the end, are you really in charge? Because the, the alien race is always over top of you saying, we're actually the ones in charge. You guys are fighting over crumbs. And this dude looked at me like, oh my goodness, why am I not playing this now? My go-to game for that is Pandemic. Always a classic. Yeah. And that's mostly because the idea that you can cooperate in a board game just shakes everybody's paradigm completely. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. We're all in this together? We're not going to have the screaming Christmas fist fight over, that we did over Monopoly? We, always, we all win or we all We're not going to have the boredom of risk? We get to win or lose together as a family or as friends? Tell me more. Uh, in, I think I actually was in an article I, I wrote the other day. I said, can't take all of gaming and saying it's either my way or the highway because you're talking about an industry that ranges from a three-card card game called Win, Loser, Banana all the way up to an epic game of galactic takeover and... and Twilight Imperium? Twilight Imperium. Even worse, something like uh, The One Ring, which takes like eight hours to play. squad leader, for that matter. Yeah. When these are your boundary points, 
when you go from a game that literally is handing out cards to people, you win, you lose your banana, haha, all the way up to carve out a weekend because we're playing a board game, when that's the spectrum you're dealing with, who are we to say, oh, you have to like this particular portion of it or you're not one of us? Well, and also in the tabletop role-playing space, there is nothing more beautiful than a passionate newbie at a role-playing table because oh, they yeah. don't oh, know the what best. they can't do yet. They do not yeah. know anything of norms, yeah. so they're like, can I, can, can I, can They can will I do create that? the coolest yeah, dramatic <laughs> situations. They will think of things that stodgy old role players would never even have occur to them. Your mm-hmm. story will go off into awesome places that it would have never gone if the newbie wasn't at the table. Yeah, probably a third of all the stories I see about, you know, gaming stories are, okay, we got this new person and oh, they did the craziest thing. And it's wonderful because that excitement and sense of possibility is what we're after with role-playing games. To to kind of give a specific story on that, I, I've been running a game of Numenera and because it's summer, uh, we're having a bit of, I, I have to tweak some stuff and do some email stuff just to get to the next session, but I really want to. Because I had this really cool moment. Now, none of these players had played this system before. So even the experienced people were new people. And I invited my brother to be part of this game because I, I my brother comes up with the most amazing things. Like, we played a Victoriana game where he played uh, an Italian halfling that was basically the dawn of London. Nice. This is the kind of stuff he comes up with. So I always, anytime he's available, I get him in. Well, Numenera has built-in character interactions. Like, it's built into the system. And the one character, uh, played by my friend Alyssa, she is playing a healer. And this is weird because it's a science fiction setting, but she has the ability to heal people. And so her connection is, you pick one other character, one of the other PCs, and that person thinks you're the messiah. And my brother signed up for that. And so my nice. my brother is basically his character thinks that this girl is the messiah. And one it's funny because my brother's playing a hardened criminal and and Alyssa's playing a 17-year-old awkward girl, but uh there was this moment. And honestly, if you had put people who had established like the rules of conduct, I don't know if this moment would have happened because it kind of bookended this one session. Because one of their one of their contacts uh, calls them up and says, "You got to get you know meet me at the park right now. There's lots of trouble going." And when they get there, they find a crowd of people, and he is there on the pavement, still bleeding out from a gash across his neck. Mm-hmm. My brother, in that moment, looked at this girl Alyssa, who I'm not going to worry about explaining her character's name, but he looked at her and said, "Can't you do anything to fix him?" The whole table just went silent in this moment and and everyone in this game is learning this system they're learning this world because i'm the only one who's read through this book well to give you a much shorter and more compact version of the same kind of thing and the slot three game that i was in at fear the con this spring we had a kid up there who must have been i don't know 10 12 years old something like that older elementary very young edge of junior high So we're all sitting around creating all these, you know, crazy characters, and Chad walks down there, um, Chad the host from Fear the Boot, and he gets like this 
diabolical grin on his face and turns around and he's like, this guy is playing a dragon with a laser helmet. The rest of you need to step up your oh, game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard him talk nice. about that game. That would have been fun. All right, so let's talk more about some other solutions to this. I, I think part of it is this idea of welcoming people rather than testing them. Mm-hmm. Some of it is listening to them when they say, I'm curious about this. You know, when they start to ask questions, don't shut them down. Be open and honest about it. And don't substitute your own opinions for the answers that they need. I've seen a lot of complaints of, again, that game store owner idea of, you know, hey, I'm looking for this. Oh, you don't want that. You want this. Well, do they really? Do they know? Well, I'll tell you what. I've, I have uh, I have a bunch of volunteers for the event that's coming up on Saturday. And a particular set of them I refer to as game leaders. And their sole responsibility is to greet people as they come in and say, can I help you play something or do you need me to teach you a game? Like, that's their role. And I have told each and every one of them, you will be playing games that you don't like. Be, be okay with that. Asking open-ended questions is a great way to get people in, to welcome new people into the hobby or your church. Asking about them in a positive tone rather than kind of a negative accusatory tone is always good. You know, tell me about yourself. What do you what do? What brings you here? You know, uh, what, what are you, yeah, what are you into? How did you hear about the church or, you know, this store or what have you? Instead of, well, have you ever done this? You know, what do you know about this? How's your theology on penal substitutionary atonement? Technical terms and trivia, especially if you're one of those people like me who naturally wants to correct people when they're wrong. Somebody is wrong about something and you got to correct them and get it right. I'm that guy. Don't be that guy. <laughs> I have to fight myself constantly about it. And One of the greatest quotes I've heard recently was from a buddy of mine. He goes, yeah, obviously we strive to be right. We strive to be accurate. There's not a one of us that shouldn't attempt to do that, especially when it comes to faith. However, at the end of the day, you have to realize that there will be people in heaven with bad theology. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And you may be one of them. Right. And yeah, that's true, too. And I think it's okay to offer to teach people like our church has a Presbyterian 101 class for new people. You know, it's like, hey, these are the basic tenets of like the history of this particular congregation and sanctuary and church community, Presbyterian theology and uh, church polity, how the church operates. Right. It's a, a three part class. And that's open to all new members of the church. But it's also open to everyone else who wants a refresher course, which works on two levels. First, those of us who have been here a while and forgotten certain things, we get to, you know, go get corrected. And second, we get to talk about things with new people who haven't been there before. And, you know, we get to help answer those questions. And that sense of, hey, let's help out together. Here's a good resource if you're curious is a lot more powerful than saying, oh, well, you haven't done your homework. There's there's also something to be said for making a small investment in a new person in the hobby. I was out at a gaming store a while ago. I play Magic the Gathering, specifically the Commander format. So I'm flipping through like a bunch of kind of the, the 10 cent junk rares and, you know, various cards and stuff. You play Magic the Gathering. Can you talk about making small investments in the hobby? <laughs> well, I, bear with me here. So this kid comes in with his dad and they're looking around at stuff and the kid's looking at magic cards and they're they're kind of talking to the owner a little bit. And the owner's 
at this store are really great. This is the Games Plus store in Mount Prospect, Illinois. If you are ever in the area, stop in and check them out. They are wonderful. They have fantastic customer service. They're all really nice guys. Selection is amazing, too. They managed to cram a lot into that little shop. But at any rate, so he's talking to them, and I'm sitting there flipping through these, and they don't really do magic as a main part of their business. They're mostly a board gaming and miniatures gaming and role-playing shop. So they had um, some cards in there that are kind of useful utility cards that were a little bit under-costed, and I was going to pick up some copies of these. And as the kid and the dad are getting ready to to leave, I pulled one that I had multiple copies out of out of my hand and handed it to the kid and said, here, snag this. As you learn the game, you'll find that this one turns out to be useful. It was a cultivate. It helps you get lands out of your deck. And, um, you know, the kid kind of smiled and walked off, but it's like, I, I really wanted his first memory with another person who plays magic to be, this guy was nice to me and handed me something that he thought I would find useful. And mm-hmm. I think we should really strive to, especially as Christians, I mean, when we're bringing people into our churches and stuff, we should be welcoming and friendly and kind to them. And when we're doing it as gamers, when we're bringing people into the hobby, we should share strategy tips with them once they've learned the basic rules. We should... Yeah, without overwhelming them initially. No, but I mean, you know, you can you can kind of go... A little bit at a time, you know, you can, and it's one of those things, again, where you can ask open-ended questions, you know, it's like, oh, you like playing this, well, what do you like about that? And they'll have an answer for you, most likely, because they're new and they think this is awesome, and you can be, you know, I read some, you know, somewhere that if you do such and such, it does this and this, and you can kind of see the wheels turning in their head, and at that point, you've got them. You've got another gamer in the hobby, good work. Yeah, I think I think the big thing is, it's a difference in attitude. There's the attitude that says you must be at my level or you're not good enough. Let's generalize it even more. You must be like me. Right. And then there's the other option that says, hey, I've been at this a while. I've seen a lot of cool things. Let me show you what I've found. Yeah. And that covers all things, and it especially covers faith. A faith that says get right because is not nearly as powerful and life-changing as one that says, oh my goodness, let me show you what I've seen. Let me show you what I have experienced knowing Christ. I have good news for you. Right. Yeah. I got nothing to add other than perhaps a quote or a line I wanted to share from Josh Jordan, another guest we had on the show. And here's, I think, where we're going to wrap up. And this was Josh on Google+. Plus. He may have said it on Twitter as well, but I found it on Google+, Plus a while back. The real problem with geek culture, too many gatekeepers, not enough key masters. Yep. And Ghostbusters fans <laughs> should get that one. <laughs> there you go. All right. We're going to wrap this one up here. Mike, thanks for coming on. This has been awesome. Oh, it's been great, guys. So for people who've never heard of Inroads or Game Store Profits, where can they go? You're find one of today's you? lucky 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aside from the big Inroads Ministries link that we have on our website, sdgcast.org. Where else can they uh, go? You can go to inroadsministries.com. That is inroads with two N's. That is where you'll find links to all of our stuff, including the links to these guys. Um, you'll also find links to our our Facebook group, which is The Tavern. Uh, you will find our Facebook page. You will find our Twitter, our Instagram, if you if you can see it. Our YouTube channel, where we play. Uh, we're currently wrapping up our D&D 5e basic rules uh, demonstration game. We are gearing up. And if you're listening to this, I think Jeff wants to get the game going in August. So this will 
have plenty of time still, I think, to get in on this, potentially. We want to run a game of Victoriana, which is jokingly referred to as Steampunk Shadowrun. I'm super excited about this because I've always run Victoriana games, and when I ran it, uh, I came up with a character that I wanted to play very badly, but I was always running it. There weren't enough GMs, and thankfully Jeff wants to GM this game, so I can probably bring Dov Poltsin, Russian Bear Man Escape from, from Circus. Oh boy. Uh, perfect. <laughs> he, he, oh my god, I, I have such a cool backstory for this dude, it's gonna be so much fun. But we want more players. I've even, as much as I'm excited about this, if we, if we get enough players where I don't need to be playing, I will gladly sit down and let somebody else play. But, uh, we do a lot of stuff on there. And you should definitely check us out. Uh, you can actually, we are a 501c3, we are a nonprofit. If you want, if you go on our, our site, you can click store and donations. Uh, eventually we're going to have stuff that you can buy and support us, but right now all we have is a donation link, and those donations are tax deductible. So if you want, you can just click on that link and support us. We would greatly appreciate it. Our goal is that eventually we get me as a, you know, that, that my livelihood comes from this. I don't know if we're going to get that anytime soon, but that's my goal so that I can be in churches, uh, training churches to use board games and role-playing games to reach people and to kind of tear down the walls that separate people and to really help the church build back the bridges that they burned during the, the moral panic of the 80s. That's that's kind of the work we're into. So anything that you guys can do to help support us, that helps us be that much more out there to try and fix that. All right. Awesome. Well, Mike, thanks again for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, we'll have to have you back again. Yeah, Absolutely. Episode 99, a, I, right? Anytime, <laughs> if nothing else, you free us from our hidebound traditions of, you know, going point by point through an outline, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I I run fast and loose, so. You do. And it, it, it helps us out every it's, time. It's a bit like having the new gamer at the table, honestly. So There we go. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, listen, from all of us here at Saving the Game and in Rhodes Ministries, have a good night, See folks. See you later. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.